Hey, good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here. I had a guy come up to me uh, several years ago and said, hey, God really spoke to me about my marriage. His marriage was going through some difficult times. There were some significant problems. He said, I opened up God's word this morning and I pointed my finger and it came across two words. It said, get out. And so that's clear leading by God that I need to get out of my marriage. And I said, wow, what passage was that? Because I'd like to see it too. He goes, I don't know. God just led it to me. I opened up the word. And I realized that tendency in all of us. It's not just him. It's in all of us that uh, when we don't like what's happening in our lives, we like to get out. And sometimes we'll use God's words even to substantiate it and to rationalize what our hearts, what our minds want to do. You know, that's an urge in all of us to leave when God says stay. That's an urge in all of us to upgrade when God says be content. And I think the the picture that Paul is going to craft for us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I invite you to turn with me, is about staying power. Staying power. What could it look like for you to stay in the life with the people in the condition in the place God has already called you? You know, whether it's technology, whether it's clothing, whether it's cars or your home, whether it's a job, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendships, even whether it's your church family. When disagreements happen, when change happens, and there's that resistance of change in our lives, uh, some of us want to want to leave rather than stay. A problem with leaving is is that it's based upon discontentment with the present. It's based on being impatient and waiting for God in the place he's called you. And, and it always places you in kind of this constant flux of transition where you're watching God do things, but you're not engaged with what God wants to do. And it makes us passive to God's call on our lives. And we're always then waiting to upgrade. The problem is, is that our time and our energy and our resources are, are wasted for the cause of Christ right where he's already placed you. Well, this temptation was not just something of our present culture. This is a temptation that was alive and active in the city of Corinth. There were a majority of pagans in that city. When they came to Christ, they wondered, what do I do? My spouse is not a believer. I am. I'm thinking about divorcing the spouse. Paul says, don't divorce the spouse. God has you in that marriage right now for a purpose. Okay, um, and this is kind of crazy. Some who were Jewish and were circumcised wanted to reach out to the Gentile population. They actually wanted a procedure that would reverse the mark of circumcision on them. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that either. And those who were Gentiles thought, wow, I'm not Jewish. And of course, you have the law and the prophets. And then you had Christ. And so should I be circumcised to be a believer? Paul said, don't do that either. I understand that God has called you in your condition with your culture right now to advance the gospel. Some who were slaves and slavery was different than what our culture had slavery at. They sold themselves into slavery when they had debts to pay and they would pay them off and then they'd be released. And they said, well, I just have freedom in Christ. Does he does he make me a slave or can I be free? And Paul said, right where you're at, if you can pay your pay your dues, get out and don't put yourself under slavery anymore. Paul's going to call us right into that. And I want you to look for a term he uses three times. Remain, stay, 
that place that God has you right now, stay. Go deep with where God has called you. Let's take a look at it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 17. It says this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord is a slave, as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. I want to highlight these three verses again, just so that we see them real clearly. Verse 17. Let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. Verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition he was called. Verse 24. In what, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. You see, God has called you. He's called me. He's called all of us and assigned us to three areas of life. And we're called to remain with God in these areas. First one is this, your present life, your present life. Your present life was called out of sin, but it was called into Christ. Look at how Paul talks about it way back in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians on your calling. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's this faithful God who came and loved you and lived a life for you, a perfect life, who died on a cross for you and paid the price of your sin and who rose again on the third day for you. And you're called into his family. You're called to live in your present life for him. Your present life. How many of us think we're in a time of transition? Well, I read today on what what times of transition. How do you define a time of transition? Well, times of transitions are where you're not going to be tomorrow, but where you are today. They're going to take some requirements, some preparation to reach that next point. And they all have a picture of you haven't arrived yet. You're always looking for something to happen tomorrow. Let me just share with you some of the categories that were shared in times of transition. And as I do that, here's some audience participation. If I call out an area that you're in, a stage of life you're in, just raise your hand and keep it up. Don't put it down. It's not going to be long, but just hang with me. How many of you are in middle school? Middle school. Good. Keep it up. How many of you are in high school? How many of you are in college? How many of you are uh, single? Single again. <laughs> How many of you are married? How many of you don't have children yet? How many of you do have children? How many of you are empty nesters? How many of you have just retired? Folks, we're all going through times of transition. You can put your hands down. We're all going through times of transition. Don't use that as an excuse for your present life not being availed to the work in the kingdom of God. 
We've got to get over that feeling of transition. It's kind of like the greyhound races, okay? They've got this bait. It looks like a rabbit to them. Don't ever tell it it's not real, okay? Or they wouldn't have a race. And it springs off and it's always just a little bit ahead of the grounds. Not that I would know how betting on dogs goes, okay? But it goes, it's going around, it's just a little bit ahead. And everyone's betting, everyone's cheering from the sidelines. But the greyhounds don't know. They're just chasing after this bait. They don't realize they're pawns. In an act of you're not there, you just get it. Once you get it, then the race is over, folks. That's that culture in our, in our world that basically says you're not, you have not arrived yet. So hold off. Don't go full out right where you're at. And God says, go deep right where you're at. Joe, you don't know where I'm at. I mean, my marriage just ended this year. That's right where God has you. Live right now. Well, when I get another spouse, then I'll start really seeking. No, no, no. Best time is right now, right where you're at. When I get that job, you know, the job I really want, not the one I don't, I have right, but I have right now. No, live in that present life right now. See, the place where you're called is a platform and an opportunity to, for the gospel to advance from one life to another. And if you left, if you moved away from your present life, if you ignored your present life, God will have to replace you. So save him that work and engage your present life right now. I see, but Joe, I know there's always going to be an excuse, but don't waste the present. Don't waste the present. It's your present life. Secondly, your existing culture, not one you want to live, not where you want to live, but the existing culture you currently live in. Look at how God called them in a specific place, the city of Corinth. Look at how he, he details that in the first chapter, second verse. Of first corinthians he says to the church of god that is in corinth to those sanctified in christ jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our lord jesus christ both their lord and ours here they are definitely they're called to the global church as we are everyone who calls on the name of the lord it's interesting that over 95 percent of the world's population lives outside of the united states We're less than 5% of the world's population, yet we think we're everything. We think it's all about us. We're Americans, okay? And we just love that national pride. But Paul says, no, no, no. What about your locality? Not just your global, your nationality, your locality, Topekans. How do you feel about where God has you right now? Now, I've heard a lot about Topeka because I talk to a lot of people who live in Topeka. This church is in Topeka, and God has given us a responsibility to live and to advance the gospel in Topeka. But I hear a lot of criticism sometimes of what it's not, or what it is that we don't like, or what it doesn't have. But here's the reality from the scriptures today. Folks, Topeka has Jesus, it has the church, and it has you. That is enough for God to use your culture. If you are here, I don't want to be here, get over it. And get deep in this place. Just understand God has you here for a purpose. And if you move, you still have you. (laughs) You can't get out of that feeling of discontentment. If you have it here, you'll have it there. Because the greatest, the greatest picture of the future is the snapshot, snap, snapshots of the past in your life. Whatever Whatever has happened in the past is just going to continue unless there's change. Your current existing 
culture. Now, I have, um, I have moved here from the outside. I've moved here from the outside. Uh, there's been four cultures I've been a part of over the course of my life. I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if I go back there, I'll still talk like this. And that culture talks to me. Got go Packers, okay? Um, but then I moved to Dallas, Texas. And then I learned what living as a Texan was all about for four and a half years. And I lived in North Dallas, which was wealthy and affluent. And you'd actually get dressed up to go grocery shopping. Those those were big things. It was all the culture there. And I learned to love people because I realized Jesus does love people in Dallas. It's amazing. He loves Texans. And then I actually met a Texan and I married a Texan. Go Texas. Texas Tech, you know, Red Raiders. And, and there was my culture and my wife's culture came into an amer- a marriage together. And then God moved us to Chattanooga, Tennessee, the scenic city of the South. And we learned how to talk like that. And uh, I was called a Yankee all the time. And I guess day I was there, but I loved those people and they loved me back. Dear friends, we had all three of our boys, our Southerners born in Chattanooga. And then we moved to Topeka, Kansas. And I used to live up on a mountain. It was like Mayberry. And then I moved to the plains in February. (laughs) And I just remember the radical change it was to, to move here. And there's a temptation of, boy, it's not like, it's not like, and just to build up an attitude. But you know what I found? People here are what you call WYSIWYG people. What you see is what you get. If someone's having a bad day, they don't dress that one up. You just see, okay, you're having a bad day. (laughs) There was no, there was no Southern, how are you? And really talk about you behind the back, their back. It kind of told you how, yeah, where you stand. I kind of value that. This has been a great place for Cheryl and us to raise our family. I mean, I hear all the time, but Topeka doesn't have nightlife. Have you ever really lived the nightlife? And is that really a place you want to be? I mean, you end up going to counseling and treatment because of your nightlife. <laughs> so we've got to we got to embrace the culture God has already placed us because that's going to be the indicator of how you engage if God moves you to another place. Right now, what could be said of your current culture, how you've embraced it, how you've, it, you've, you've accepted God's call for your existing culture? And then third, your current condition. Look at what it says in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 1. Paul says, for consider your calling. There's that word again, calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You want to squelch the gospel? Then make your life about your worldly wisdom, what you know about your world, and what, again, where you stand with power and your own nobility, your personal and somewhat arrogant view of yourself. Your current condition may not be something you take a lot of pride in, but it's a condition that has meaning and purpose in the eyes, the heart, and the hands of God. Here even slaves are invited into the kingdom of God. Now, Paul was saying, don't get me wrong here. This is never a biblical, um, uh, you know, uh, foundation for slavery of any kind, because he ends up saying, don't be a slave to anyone, any man, because we're all servants of Christ. So don't misquote the Bible on that. God is calling us, though, and nothing has to change in our lives, our culture 
or our condition before God can use each of us. Now, I want to share with you and spend the rest of the time in this message about three practices that this this passage invites us into that builds staying power. And whenever you feel that urge to leave when God is calling you to stay, these are practices that if you will invest your life in, will pay off. You can't help but win with God when you're practicing these practices. And in every area I've been discontent, when I have followed these three practices, it's amazing how God became greater. My love for people deepened. And I saw his purposes and his, his, um, his, his heart for, for this world. And I think that's where God wants all of us, right? All, God wants all of us engaging where he has us right now. He's placed you there, even though it may have been a personal failure of yours. Even though that you feel it might be a mistake. I believe God can use you wherever you're at. Number one, if you'll lead yourself authentically. We're called to lead ourselves. Look at again, first verse 17. It says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Lead yourself. I don't know how many of you are leaders in a job, definitely leaders in our home if we have children, but who's the most difficult person to lead in your life? I think about that, and over the course of leadership, I realize, boy, it's a person who doesn't care. It's the person who, who isn't, um, isn't kind, and they have a negative attitude. It's the person who always shows up late. It's the person who just um, is, is so overly opinionated. You know the most difficult person to lead? It's yourself. It's yourself. You go, oh, come on. No, it is, because in leadership, there's a temptation to make everyone else change. So you don't have to. So you write policies, right? That's why leaders write policies. So everyone else around them doesn't have to change, but they can I mean, has to change, but they don't have to. When you're in marriage and you're in leadership, there's a temptation to have your spouse be sensitive towards you and have your spouse be kind to you and the spouse to do things for you so you don't have to. But here, what God is calling us to is that we've all called to take responsibility, to look at ourselves. And by the way, leading yourself is the only person you really can control in this life. Trust me, I've been in marriage for 23 years. I cannot change my spouse. And I'm glad I can't because she has made me a much better man than I was when I first got married. But we still can't change each other. I can't change you. That was freeing for me as a pastor that I can't change. Only God can change you. But you have to allow God to do that. And the most powerful person you can lead is yourself. When someone hurts you, how you lead yourself authentically is extremely important. Do you talk about them? Do you get your buddies together, build an effigy of them, burn them, you know, get all upset, process them, don't get sleep because you're writing a story that's based on your feelings and your hurt rather than reality. We've got to learn how to lead ourselves, especially when things aren't working out the way we want them to. The best indicator of the future, remember, is the past. And instead of waiting for others to change or wondering if things will work out, don't ignore the present responsibility of leading yourself authentically. Now, how do you know when you're leading yourself well? How do you know when you're leading yourself authentically? Here's a gauge I use. 
when there's not a difference between the back room and the front door of my life. Here's what I mean by that. We all got up this morning, we got dressed, and we present ourselves to people around us. And we look nice, we look, for the most of us, healthy. And so we reach out, we say, hello, good to see you. And we say niceties to people. But but when when no one's looking, how are we living? Is there a double life there? Is there a disconnect? Is there a secret sin that's dominating in your life that you're hiding from others? See, we want to lead here. We want to be people here that, that the way we present ourselves when the lights are on and everyone's watching is the same way we present ourselves and the same way we love people when they're not around. Our, our staff meetings need to look the same as our church meetings. Okay, that's what makes an organization. That, what's the, that's what makes a person authentic. That's what makes a person a person of integrity. If... If someone hurts you and, and you build up the back room to where you're taking them out and you're critical and you're cynical and you're writing a story, that's hurting the kingdom of God through you. Lead yourself authentically. It's the only person you can really lead well. And when you do, and there's not a difference between the back room and the front door of your life, here's what I've realized. I've kept short accounts with people. I don't stack anger. I don't stack frustration. If you've offended me, I'm probably going to go, hey, can we talk? Because I don't know if you meant to say this, but this is how I'm hearing it. I don't want to feel that way anymore. It's just taught me to keep short accounts. So I'm not, because I don't do well with anger and neither do you. So we keep accounts short by leading ourselves authentically. That means from the beginning with people, I think the best of everyone I meet And I want the best for everyone I meet. Okay? When you think the best about people, you're not going to go real quickly into, there's a personal vendetta against me. And when you want the best for people, you're going to treat them the way God has treated you. Lead yourself authentically. Secondly, love your people deeply. Sorry for the accent there. But look at what Paul is calling us to in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 7. He says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. So he's basically saying, Jew or Gentile, these are your people. And these are the people already around you. And there's a connection to each of us with our nationality. There's a connection to us in our locality. But there's even a more specific connection to us. And that's your neighborhood. Where God has placed you. Your apartment building where God has placed you. And you're called to love the people you're already with. To quote the theologians Crosby, Stills, and Nash. If you can't be with the ones you love, honey, love the ones you're with. Okay? We're called to do that. We're called to love the people we already have. And that's why it's important for us to know and to love and to serve people God has placed us. Here's quick audience participation. Make a tic-tac-toe board on your notes. Yes, I'm asking you to doodle. (laughs) Make a tic-tac-toe board on your notes. Or if you can't do that right now, just think in your mind of a tic-tac-toe. Most often played game in the world. Tic-tac-toe. Now, I want you to draw a picture in that center box of your house. 
Don't go and give me landscaping. Just do a house. Just do a picture of a house. That's your house. Now, let me ask you this. If you could fill in all the houses around you with the names of the people who live in that house, could you do it? Think about your apartment. The people who live all around you. Just start the people in front of you. Can you fill in the names in those boxes of the people who already live next to you? Do you believe that less than 40% of those who live in the United States can do that? We don't because we don't know our neighbors. We don't know our neighbors. We build fences around our neighbors. We get out of the car in the garage after the garage door closes because we don't want our neighbors to know us. We value our personal homes. We value and we we want to keep away from our neighbors. I remember growing up in uh, suburban America and my neighbors fought over property lines. Someone planted a fruit tree and it got into this massive fight. And we were just listening and we were hearing in Milwaukee. These neighbors yelling at each other and this classic grown up adults. And the guy came out with his hose and sprayed the woman down. I mean, <laughs> this is America at its finest. Just think about that. Think about that. We all probably have stories of boundary issues. And it has nothing to do with how much or how little property you have. If we don't get along, you're going to have those. But we're called to love our people. These are your people. And when you view them as your people, it's something you break down and you go more personal. These are people God has placed me to be, to be a light of the gospel. Do your neighbors know at all that you love Jesus at all? And I'm not asking you, knocking the door. Hey, I just am a pastor. I, I love Jesus, okay? Just check off that list, okay? But what if you went out in the middle of your road and go, you are my people, I love you. And then run back into your house. (laughs) Do something. Do something to engage your people that God has placed you. Folks, it starts with one act. It's better than nothing. And it's engaging engaging people God has already placed you and to love them. It won't happen if you don't start sometime with something. It can be simple from taking cookies over. It's simple to watching their house for them or cutting their grass for them if they're traveling this summer. Folks, love your people deeply. And what God will do when you do that, he will grow your capacity to love. And he will trust you with more people. That's our whole picture here. We've got to love the people God has entrusted to us. And as we love, love uh, the people God has already entrusted here, guess what God has done? Entrusted us with more. That's the whole strategy of Fellowship Bible Church. We love people. And we help people find God. We help people follow God. And, and God just entrusts us with more. That's why we're building right now. Because God, wherever we were, if we humbled ourselves and loved just one more person, God would entrust us with more. And the same is true for your life. It's not just a church. It's your life. It's your life. It's your family. Love your people deeply. How do you know when you're loving people well? Well, when the people already around me are accepted and blessed by me. Can I just ask you that question right now? If your spouse, if your spouse were to ask, were asked, hey, do you feel your husband's or your wife's acceptance? Do you feel blessed by them what would they what would they answer what about your kids would your kids say yeah dad dad blesses me he accepts me or dad corrected me 150,000 times this year 
Okay? I've been keeping count. Okay? I'm a child. I'm a 50-year-old child who still longs for his father to bless me. And my father does. See, it's never too late to be that parent you're called to be and to love your family deeply. Would your family know this? Would your friends, would your neighbors, would the people you work with? You don't know my job, Joe. I know you're God. And he's called you to be there right now. And you can leave your job, but you still have you. And so we better learn how to lead ourselves well and love our people deeply. And then finally, finally, we're called to serve our Lord faithfully. Serve your Lord faithfully. Look at verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 7. It says, For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Paul is saying here, look, you may be slave, you may be free, but we're all servants of God. You've been freed to serve him without being enslaved to sin, without even being enslaved to the patterns of this world, and even you not even being enslaved to selfishness. And here's what I've learned. Here's what I experience when I serve the Lord faithfully. And it always means with people. But here's the deal. My calling is, is, is clarified every time I serve. It's like, God, this is what. Thank you so much that I get to be a part of your work. My gifts are affirmed. I get to use my gifts for the glory of God. Something greater than myself. Needs are met. People are loved. My purpose is deepened. Your joy, your contentment. You see the power of God working through you and you see transformation in the lives of people. How could we not do this? If There's so many benefits for us. And we learn when we serve faithfully that it's much better to serve than to be served. But when we're not serving, it's so much, so much easier for us just to buy the lie that people live to serve me. People exist to serve me. And so we, we are really hip on, on, on our comments, our user comments online because they didn't serve us the way we wanted to be served. And it even shows itself in church that this church didn't meet my needs anymore because you've been watching a church and you've been receiving from a church, but you haven't been serving in a church. Folks, it happens to all of us, no matter what organization we're a part of. When we stop serving and we start watching, when we stop giving and we seek to get, man, that's the death blow to the relationship, to the environment there. And so God calls us right now. We've got to serve somebody, so serve him. We're going to serve someone. How will I know when I'm serving faithfully? And here's, the, here's my gauge. When the pleasure of serving the Lord replaces the posturing for position with man. This has been a big one in my life. I've, when I was serving at other churches and I was in different environments, there was a temptation of, oh, when I get to be in that position, that would be really cool. And the reality that I've had to come back with that God has shown me through this passage is, no, the position you're in already, serve the Lord faithfully. He will put you in another position if he wants to do that. And you will probably get that position because you've been faithful with your current position. It's not about God doesn't say what position are you and then gives you marks. He goes, are you serving me today 
faithfully in the position that you're already in. Don't look to upgrade on that. Save God that work and serve him faithfully. Quit posturing for the position you want and take pleasure in serving the God who's already called you there. Folks, these key practices, leading your life authentically, loving your people deeply, serving your Lord faithfully, these are practices that just build staying power. It's what keep us and go deep in places with people that God has for us. They deepen our purpose, our belonging, our love, our capacity to contribute in a place. They, they deepen a sense of being a part of something greater than ourselves. We realize we're really made for the glory of God when we do these things. If I might be so bold, are you serving your Lord faithfully right where you're at? And if you're not, can I be so bold to invite you back? Invite you to get, find a place you can serve him. There are hundreds of places at Fellowship Bible, inside and outside our church, you can get involved. Don't watch things happen. Get engaged. This is summer. I'd like to take a break, Joe. Use summer as a time to get connected, to try things out. We believe in a 100% employment rate in everybody here to get involved. Everyone is a minister. Everywhere is a ministry. We have to engage God right where he has us, with the people he has us, in the condition he has us. And what I've learned is when we're faithful with a little, God always entrusts with more. That's our whole model. That's our whole strategy for ministry. Before we send someone globally, we better have had them proven here in Topeka. Before we, we uh, hire someone and we have a job description, we like to know if this is what we need done, how have you done that in the past? Well, I, my boss, I didn't like my boss, my people, I didn't like the church I was. We don't hire those people because we need people who are faithful with what God had already entrusted them. God always uses that attitude and, and that, that contentment in him right where he has you now to build and bring, bring greater things into your life. Let's start with that. So here's what I want to do as we close in prayer. Before I pray for you, I want you to just think about these three areas. Number one, will you say to God right now, you're, you're going to take away all of those preconditions, all those requirements for him. Will you say to him, God, I, I will lead my life authentically. I will do that right now. I, I'm willing to trust you and, and what being authentic is all about. And I need your help. I need to be a blessing in places, not a burden. I will lead my life. I'll start with me. I won't wait for anyone else around me to change. I will change my attitude and my heart. I'll lead myself authentically. Secondly, Lord, it's really annoying people here. I will love them deeply. And I'm not going to do it on my own. I can't do it with my own sense of love. I need the love of Jesus in my life who loved me and gave himself up for me. I will love the people you already have in my life. It'll begin with my marriage or my relationships closest to me. And it'll spread out into my work. It'll spread out in my church, in my neighborhood. I will love the people you already have for me deeply. Whatever that's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I'm willing to trust you. That you have me in this place with the people you have, you have for me. And then finally, Lord, I'm going to serve you faithfully. Some of us, that means I'm going to begin someplace. 
Stop off at the involvement center. Get connected. Go to connecting point. It's intuitive, right? We connect you to ministry when you go to connecting point. Go to that place and get connected someplace where you can serve the Lord faithfully. And here's what I'll guarantee you. If you engage in these things, you practice three, these three, three practices, you are going to go deep. And you're going to see God use you and work through you far beyond anything you could ever plan with a move, with an upgrade, with a change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each person you brought to this room to share a vision with that it is about leading ourselves authentically right where we're at with the life we've been given. It's about loving the people you've already placed around us deeply, not looking to jump, not looking to move, but staying and going deep. And it's about serving you faithfully, not sporadically, not when we have leftover time, but as a key priority of our lives to serve the Lord and our God faithfully. I pray for each person who made a commitment to seek you in this area and follow you. And I pray that you would bless them with more, with more of yourself, with more of a blessing to what their lives really have meaning and have purpose to do. And that is to glorify and lift up the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.